So, Alice. Good morning, Ponders. Good morning. How was your last viewing of Rogue One? Emotional, as always. Yeah. You know, I, I can't I can't watch the movie without crying. It's been dozens of times. Um, but I have some thoughts, as I'm sure you do as well, as the reason we're recording this podcast. We should just uh, get right to it. Yeah. I, uh, I will say my watching of the film this time was on a plane to, uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, so I, I had a very different experience with the film because instead of watching it on a 15-inch screen, I had like a maybe 6-inch screen in front of me to watch it on. Uh, and then I, I rewatched this the scene that, that we're talking about a couple of times as per usual. But yeah. No, I'm glad that you uh, participated this time in the full yes, rewatch. I, I did rewatch the entire film. I also went back and completed it last month. I did watch the end of the film again. So. Oh, good. Yeah, we, we are... Glad. You know, it's, it's not a challenge if you're not playing along. That's true. You can you can call us anything you want, but you can't call us liars or quitters. Well, you might be able to call us liars, but we're not quitters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, where did we leave off? What was the last thing that happened in Rogue One? Uh, last month we uh, discussed the scene that ended with Saw Gerrera calling down to Baby Ginerso in the cave, saying, "My child." Come, we have a long ride ahead of us. My child, come. Come. We have a long ride ahead of us. And then we get the fanfare, we get the title card, and this is where we start. Yes. It's however many years later, and Jin Erso is in a labor camp on Wobani. I, I think the the first thing that I notice is that we leave baby Jin in a hole and then we catch up with older Jin in a hole in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> with you you learn that it's a, a prison cell and that there are guards walking outside and it's only a momentary shot. It's just like a couple of seconds that we we connect with her before we then move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yes, and she's waking from sleep, um, and we see her do this a little later in the film, where she is having a dream about her father and about when she was a child, and that she she kind of like wakes up with a start. That's the impression that I was getting was her waking up in well body in her jail cell to the to the um, water dripping on her forehead. I think was she was having the dream. She was remembering the scene that we just got. She was remembering losing her mother. She's remembering right, Saw right. picking her up. And so when she wakes up still in that dark hole, maybe she fell asleep in, in the dark hole of the prison cell, thinking about the dark cave that she was in when she was rescued. And that's what inspired the dream. So so yeah, I think you're, you're right to, to point out that parallel between where we left Jin and where we have Jin now, because I think that's why she was having that dream. Or yeah. I, I, if if it was supposed to be a dream. I think it was, because we see her waking up. I actually never actually thought about that as a dream, but now that you say that, that makes a lot more sense as to what's going on there. And it, it makes a lot of sense that falling asleep in this dark hole would make her dream of this really important moment when she also fell asleep in a dark hole and was in this place, right? So right. that that is actually, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, and the fact that she has these nightmares. So she had she has this nightmare that ends with her in the dark hole. And then later she has the, the nightmare where she, she wakes up. But that one had gone back a little further to to when she was a little kid and they're on Coruscant and they're all in their Imperial outfits. We yeah, we get these really vivid like dreams from her. She's and she's obviously still dealing with all of this horrible stuff that's happened to her, which informs her characters as a, you know, an untrusting um apolitical kind of um kind of person but but i think it's it's a really important thing that in in this section specifically that we're talking about today we get the introduction of cassian uh and the introduction of bodhi and right we need the introduction of Jin. but as we mentioned last time Jin's background needs to be seen not told and there's not a good way to 
Like, we could have just started the film with Jin waking up in a jail cell, and then through clever dialogue revealed all the things, like the scene where, where they're like, your father is the man who is building the Death Star. Like, all that sort of stuff come out through the dialogue. But instead, to establish her character, we have to see that. And so it makes sense that in this introductory section for all three of these characters, that we don't actually get a lot about Jin, but we can connect it back to the thing that we've just seen. And so when we see that moment of Jin, it's like, this is the new character. This is the character you're going to follow for the rest of this film is this older Jin. What you need to know about her was in that dream. It, yeah, it's so informative and, and 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 uses the clever dialogue to establish the backstory. Like we said last time, instead of a title crawl. So then when we see her and she's just sitting alone in a in a jail cell and a stormtrooper walks by or she's chained to the floor on the uh, prison transport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't you don't need a stormtrooper walking up and being like, you committed all of these crimes and now you're now you're in trouble. You know, no, you right. there's a prison. She's in a she's in a jail cell. It's it's shown shown, not told. Right. Exactly. Um, when she sits up. She sits up after her dream and she looks over at her cellmate and she looks out the door and there's a stormtrooper walking by and the look on her face is so resigned. She's just like, well, it's another day. Here I am in this jail cell where I probably deserve to be she's she's not questioning it she's not like i gotta get out of here she's not crying she's not like it's just so she's so resigned and it's so sad she's a young woman who deserves to have so much more and there she is just well here i am And, and and it'll all tie into the the political apathy but also just the apathy in general when she has that line coming up uh you know uh, when was the last time you like? Do you know where your father is? And she's like, I, I, you know, I prefer. What well, you probably know the line better than I do. Yeah, she says. Um, I like to think he's dead. When was the last time you were in contact with your father? Fifteen years ago. Any idea where he's been all that time? I like to think he's dead. Makes things easier. Easier than what? That he's been a tool of the Imperial War Machine. You've never had the luxury of political opinions. Really? It's it's easier that way. Like, it's it, that and uh, I've never had the luxury of political opinions. Two lines in the same scene where it's just further hammering in this, this apathy. But her face doesn't always agree with what she's saying. But she's sitting there and she's like kind of you know, blank faced. And uh, when, when uh, Draven is, is reading, is reading like her charges, aggravated assault, resisting arrest, all of that stuff. She's just sitting there like, yeah, okay. You're currently calling yourself Liana Halleck. Is that correct? Possession of unsanctioned weapons, forgery of imperial documents, aggravated assault, escape from custody, resisting arrest. And then he says her name. And it's the first time anybody's called her by that name, probably since her father was taken, probably since her mother died. And she lets out a little breath, like, like just the the littlest breath. You could just see it where it's like a, well, like, I can't run from this anymore. Imagine if the Imperial authorities had found out who you really were, Jin Urso. That is your given name, is it not? Jin Urso, daughter of Galen Urso, a known Imperial collaborator in weapons development. He he knows who I am. I can't lie. He knows everything about me. And she lets out this little breath and, and her eyes widen just a little bit. And but she 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 doesn't slump and she doesn't change her posture. It's very uh, dignified. Um but the second that Cassian brings up Saw Gerrera, that wound is newer, and she's clearly upset. Now, and she she tries. She's like, "Listen, that was a long time ago. I haven't seen him in years. I don't. I don't know." But she starts talking faster, and she's breathing a little harder, and, and mm-hmm. she's 
still so upset with Saw, but pretending like she's not. Really? When was your last contact with Saw Gerrera? It's been a long time. But he'll remember you, though. Wouldn't he? He might agree to meet you if you came as a friend. We're up against the clock here, girls, so if there's nothing to talk about, we'll just put you back where we found you. I was a child. Saul Guerrero saved my life. He raised me, but I've no idea where he is. I haven't seen him in years. We know how to find him. That's not our problem. What we need is someone who gets us through the door without being killed. It, it's I mean, it's just like a masterful piece of acting from Felicity Jones in this yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, <laughs> she shows such a wide range of emotion without hardly changing her face at all. It's all, it's it's how quickly she breathes. It's her slight shift in posture. It's, she widens her eyes just, just enough that you know she's worried. And I just, I just love it so much. Yeah. Ponders, I love this movie. Do you? I, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I, I think, I think the thing about that scene that I really picked up on this time, and it kind of has to do with what you're talking about, is first they establish that they know who Jin is. And once it's it's this very common trope in uh, Harry Potter, in the name of the wind, in a lot of things is once you know the name of a thing, you have power over it, right? And there's a lot of power in a name. And as soon as they know that it's Jin Erso, not only does that like connect her to everything she has done, but it connects her to everything her father has done as well. Right. And so the first thing they do is they. They obtain power over her by saying her name. And then Cassian comes in and mentions Saw. And that opens up one fresh wound. And then it gets all the way down to the moment where he says there's a defective pilot on Jeddah. And he was sent by your father. There's an Imperial defector in Jeddah. A pilot. He's been held by Sogarera. He's claiming the Emperor is creating a weapon with the power to destroy entire planets. The pilot says he was sent by your father. Um, oh my gosh. The uh, look on her face yeah, when and he then, says that. Yeah, and, and that's because that's the first moment, I think, in the film, that, or like, it, it's probably the first moment in a long time for Jin where someone has confirmed the fact that her father is alive to her. That there is a person not who just is, alive, but possibly not evil. Right. Yeah. Not like, just. Yeah. That's no. That's a really good point. Alive, helping the rebellion. Like, not any of the things. Because currently she thinks he's one dead or two helping the empire. Right. And that is the first moment, and it, and it won't happen until Jeddah that she gets the full confirmation. But her face in that moment is that look of shock, and she almost can't believe it. And I think what what actually happens here that's kind of brilliant with... Is it Mon Martha is the name of the character? Mon, Mon Mothma. Yeah. Mon Mothma, excuse me. With Mon Mothma and them, they're trying to get Jin to do something. They want her to accomplish something. And they try this tactic of slowly picking at the wounds in Jin and gaining power over her to try and like get her to a point where she has to agree to go do the thing. And none of that works. It's the moment, which is maybe my favorite moment in this whole thing, which I need you to explain to me. You may have done this before, but I need you to explain it again. Which is where Bail Organa walks up from the background and the Force theme, the the the, the oh. Binary Suns theme, plays very gently. We're hoping that he would help us locate your father and return him to the Senate for testimony. And if I do it, we'll make sure you go free. Why does seeing Bail Organa change her mind? What is it about that? This is partially uh, confirmed or hinted at in the combination of, of Catalyst and Rebel Rising and the novelization. Uh, a little bit of headcanon, a little bit of of speculation and just kind of inferring from things hinted at in these books. But Jin grew up 
on core planet within the empire even though she doesn't have the luxury of political opinions and she's it's not a problem if you don't look up and all of that in this moment in time in the star wars universe the senate is still a, a thing the, mm-hmm. sen- the senators are not only still around um but alderaan is still around like bail organa is a very public figure and has always been a huge public figure he's a massive figure in the senate I mean, I think even into A New Hope, they talk about uh, the Galactic Senate will never stand for this or something like that. I think yeah. that, I think that a, line is uttered at one point. <laughs> there is also a line uttered not much longer later in New Hope where they say they are dissolving the Senate. The rebellion will continue to gain a support in the Imperial Senate. The, the Imperial long- Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the Council permanently. The last remnants of the old republic have been swept away. So we are we are at a point where the Senate is is still in power or fighting for the last dregs of power. She knows that Bail Organa is part of the the rebellion for real. She doesn't know who Ma Mothma is. She doesn't know who General Draven is. She doesn't know who this Cassian Andor guy is. She knows Bail Organa and she knows that he's legit. Cassian's the one that delivers the news that says the the pilot was was sent by your father. And she looks at him for like a while. Very next thing that she sees is Bail Organa. And I think that's the moment where she starts to trust Cassian. She's going to open her heart up just a little bit. She's like ready. She's like, okay, and now I'm considering it. You've shown me a couple of things, very convincing. And then Mon Mothma says, we'll be sure you go free. And if I do it, we'll make sure you go free. And then she's like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Like, count, like, absolutely count me in. Her eyes widen. They do that thing. Her, she smiles just like a little bit. It, it's, a sign, it's a sign that the rebellion, there's actually power behind the people who are in front of her. Because every, every time in her life that someone has said, trust me, we're going to do this thing so that you'll be okay. Her father abandoned her. Saw Guerrera abandoned her. It's just like... I'm not going to help you people because you are just going to abandon me as well. But then right. when she sees Bail Organa, who, like you're saying, represents this power, represents the Senate, represents a part of the rebellion that isn't just these ragtag, like, confederation of states. Uh, and then I think the other thing that happens is that music, which the other two times where that music comes up in A New Hope is the binary sunset which is where Luke is looking out on the two stars just with the desire to leave the planet. Like, and, and this is, we talked about this a lot last time of this like hero rising above the landscape, looking for an escape. Uh, and then it happens again during um, the scene where Obi-Wan Kenobi is explaining, your father was once a Jedi Knight, and we fought together in the Clone Wars. And that's like one of my favorite scenes in the whole the whole. It's movie. very, very good. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? Now, the Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us it binds the galaxy together but in both cases with luke it is this is a thing where you can guide your desire this is the thing that you want this is the thing that you're dreaming about and to place that bit of music right next to the line we will make sure that you go free pulls those things together but also it's it's sandwich right on one side of the music is we'll make sure you go free. And on the other side of the music is OBT dubs your father is alive and probably not a like empire person. He's probably for the rebellion. And then that music plays. All three of these ideas are connected. The father, the freedom, and Bail Organa as the symbol of the power that can justify both, both of these things. When Luke looks out over the binary sunset, it's a wist it's it's the same theme, but it's played in this grand, wistful sort of, this is just a dream. When it's then played with Obi-Wan, 
explaining the story and he pulls out the lightsaber, it's played much more gently and much more like, this is deliberate. This isn't some wistful dream. This is fact. This is reality. And here, just like then, it's played as this sort of wistful, like, uh, like very deliberate, very precisely placed. And if I do it, we'll make sure you go free. These things are reality. Your freedom is a reality. Your father is a reality. And the power to make those things happen is a reality. You can trust all of this. You don't have to not trust it like you've always done. Right. We're giving you this opportunity to to get back what you've been fight what you were fighting for before you gave up. And so that mask that mask on her face drops again. And and she decides to trust them. Um which is which is wild. It does it does seem like it comes kind of quick, but I think it's because that desire to trust them to do something to believe in her father never was really that far under the surface for her. Like she dreams about it all the time. And she dreams about, you know, about, you know, losing her mother and that family that she wanted, like you were saying before, like this, this running towards her family, the, the, the drive to get back to her family is so important to her character that yeah, I've seen criticism of, of this where they're like, Oh, well, you know, like, Oh, they just say, oh, yeah, maybe your father's a good guy. And suddenly she trusts these people that she's been distrusting all these years. It's way more than that. It's way more than that. It was it was not that far under the surface because she wasn't able to hold in that breath when when they when they call her by her name, because she wasn't able to keep her cool when they bring up Saw Gerrera. Like sh- her mask is not very thick. It's she's barely holding it together. They strip away the mask and then give her not her, whoever she is trying to be her Jin Urso what she wants, which is the promise of her father and the promise of freedom. And I also think it's interesting that we're tying her mother into the force a lot because she's mm-hmm. the one that delivers that opening remark. Uh, gives her the kyber crystal. Like, gives her the kyber crystal. And what does Lyra she say about the, the force? force. Trust the Force. Trust the Force. You know where to go, don't you? Trust the Force. And then what plays in this moment? The Force theme. The Force theme. Yeah, which is, because which it's is her this, family. Yeah, exactly. So there's a part here, which is her father, a part here, which is her mother, and the freedom, which is her. The whole family comes back together in her mind in this moment. Bodhi doesn't get a lot here. Yeah, Bodhi does not Bodhi. get a lot. It's our first glimpse of Bodhi. It's also our first glimpse of Jakku. Of Jedha. Jedha, excuse me. What? What? The uh, the other deserty planet that starts with a J. No. Oh, J- Jakku is from <laughs> the, the Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Too many films. No, it's okay. It's a lot. To, it's a lot to keep track of. I'm also really bad at names. As as I will say on every episode of the podcast, <laughs> you do all the names. I can't do any of the memorization stuff. That's okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's our first glimpse of Jeddah and we've got the fallen statues because this was a, a Jeddah was a huge Jedi temple, very big deal planet in the Jedi religion. And you've got these big toppled statues that they're hiding behind. And that's all crazy symbolic too. This fallen Jedi statue that that they that they meet saws like band of of partisans back there using the shadow of a fallen Jedi statue to stage a rebellion in the old Jedi temple is mm-hmm. very beautiful. It's be- yeah. it's absolutely beautiful, especially because uh, in the prequels. Uh, there is a sense that the Jedi are taking the changing political climate in a totally different direction than what the Senate is doing. And the Senate eventually morphs into the core of the rebellion. And Saw is taking the rebellion in a totally different direction than what the rest of the rebellion is doing. The Jedi are, in a way, extremists in the way that they handle things, not necessarily violent extremists like we get the sense that Saw is, but extremists nonetheless in their extreme beliefs about how 
things ought to operate. And so to have these two extremist groups, one kind of working out of the carnivorous remains of the previous one, right? Of them operating in the shadow of the temple and having all this sort of like, I, I just think it's, it's perfect. It's the perfect location for all of this to happen. And also that that he doesn't that he doesn't go out to meet Bodhi is a, the beginning symbol of his uh, uh, paranoia surrounding yes. someone trying to come and kill him. Yes, his perceived importance in all of this and how he's just waiting for like he thinks that Bodhi is going to kill him. He thinks that Jin is going to kill him. Right, <laughs> like his por- paranoia has reached new levels. Yeah, he he and he's. <laughs> And he's old now, and he's broken, and he's, like, more machine than man now. And he's, um, like, he, he, yeah, he's old and, and paranoid and, and broken and, and, and doesn't go outside of his little base, or at least as far as we've seen. He doesn't even run for his own life. Like, he's he's at the end of his power, and there's that fallen that fallen statue again in this broken, broken city. Because Saw's, like, a symbol of this... Of this, uh, of this part of the rebellion that is all like our underground guerrilla tactics, terrorist acts that he, you know, that that he's so in favor of, and uh, yeah, it's the it's the end for for him, and and yeah, yeah, you get that first glimpse of of that in the scene with Bodhi Rook. Yeah, and and I don't think you you learned so much about Bodhi. Like you you get some plot details about him, but I don't think much is revealed about his character in this moment. Would you agree yeah. with that? Right, not in this in this moment. We don't we don't get our first other than getting a little bit of like what kind of like what kind of guy he is. Like he's, you know, he he's a nervous talker and he's a little twitchy already. Um and and he's a talker. He doesn't even like really know that these are Sauce peoples, but he's like, I gotta, I gotta talk to Saw. I have to talk. He's, he's very, he's. Oh, you must be Saw. Never You're done much this. different than I expected. <laughs> Is that him? He looks kind of different to how I imagined. Fosuta, to be Okay, so you, you Sugarera, Sugarera, no? Okay, we're just wasting time that we don't have. I need to speak to Sukarera. I keep telling them before it's before it's too late. So Leo, Smollett's girl, We're in the middle of nowhere. We need to get to Jeddah City. What part of urgent message do you guys not understand? He's never done anything like this before. It's really obvious that 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 Bodhi Rook is brand new to this he, to this lifestyle. He is not the criminal like Jin. And he is not the spy like Cassian. Nope, he's just a cargo he is, pilot. He's just a cargo pilot in this world, and he doesn't know what's going on or how to navigate it. But he wants redemption, and we we don't know that yet. Not yet. We we learn that coming up. But he has an important motive in a way that, and it's a personal motive in a way that Jin needs to find her personal motive, and Cassian needs to find his personal motive. Bodhi is our example of somebody who already has a personal motive. Just, who yes. just doesn't have the skills to act on that motive. <laughs> no, not yet. Yeah, because yeah, all we all we know from this itty bitty scene with him is that he doesn't know what he's doing, um, which is so sweet. And Riz Ahmed is so so good. He's just he's just a delight. Yeah, all these characters are really well acted. Let's talk about Cassian Andor. Yeah, I think he's Can the guy we, talk we have about to talk Cassian? about. Cassian, I love, I love Cassian, yeah. which doesn't surprise anyone. No, <laughs> um, but uh, that first glimpse of him that we get in this, like the the Ring of Catherine, this this gritty, smoky backwater asteroid. It's very like very cool aesthetic, and he you get kind of a shifty side view of him like a shifty profile view of him that's the first look that you get boy is diego luna dreamboat <laughs> man he is so he is so beautiful he's so gorgeous and so shifty yeah. and yeah this this establishing him on this really 
really shady planet looking shady looking over his shoulder which is like come on cassie and you're giving yourself away it's like clearly a spy like you're looking over your shoulder every other minute and tivik the guy that he meets in that back alley is maybe the loudest spy ever he's like shouting what he knows at the top yeah no i i there are things that i really love about that scene which is that mainly the dynamic between the two of them is Mm-hmm. Cassian is playing it cool. He is the spy, and it, it it's abundantly clear from the first minute. Him being a little bit more overt about his covert nature helps us like be like, oh, this guy is he's, he's a, spy. a spy. He's trying to get information, and then his contact acts way over the top about it, and it, oh, it's just yeah. like there's there's this. I gotta get back to the ship. We gotta get back to. There's spies <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Oh my arm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I have to go. What kind of weapon? A planet killer. That's what he called it. That's all right. There's spies everywhere. What's all this? And then, I actually, I kind of want to talk about how I first watched this, when I first saw the movie. And I know we bring this up a couple times, and I think it's important, because I have really clear thoughts associated with the first time that I watched this movie. As we are watching that scene, I think of this as, like, the Han Solo character. That I'm getting introduced to. And that connection's gotta be made. Like, it's, it's, he's not Han Solo. As the film goes on, we know he's not Han Solo. But in that moment, it's the archetype that we kind of connect him to. And then he defies everything about that archetype. Almost immediately. Almost immediately. But he's a smooth talking, you know, when, when he's yes. talking to, tell me, tell me more about this information. He's smiling yeah. when the stormtroopers come. The first yeah. thing he does is oh, like, smile. Oh, yeah, yeah. And- that's, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the key moment is the Han shot first moment where he's like, oh, yes, let me just grab my glove. Yeah, yeah, of course. My gloves. <laughs> Bing bang. <laughs> yes, very Hanja yeah. first. He's 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 handsome and scruffy and yeah, he's doing doing the right. Han Solo thing. And, and then, then he, he shoots, shoots the other it. guy. And that that moment in the theater, I think it's a really brilliant move because it places you in a part of the rebellion that you have never seen before. And that you might not like all that much. Right, which is someone in the rebellion does something that is not ethically good, <laughs> right? Like, right. It's not just that you know Darth Vader chokes people and kills Obi Wan Kenobi and like is clearly bad because he has a giant black flowy cape. It's like this guy is a good guy trying to save people's lives, and he killed someone in the process. That is the utilitarian sort of philosophy that gets established with Cassian. Everything has a utility, and everything is based on what is best for the rebellion. And in that moment, he makes a call, and he says, this guy's not going to make it out of here. If he does make it out of here, he might get captured. If he gets captured, this guy's talking, because he clearly can't shut his mouth. Mm -hmm. And even if he does go free, he'll probably talk, because this guy can't shut his mouth. And in a moment, he calculates that the best thing for the Rebellion is that this person stops right here. This is the end of their trail. And that is such a cold, calculating, not Han Solo sort of move. Right? Han might do that, but only because it would help him save his own skin. Han Solo's a little more... I'm not in it for your Rebellion. I do it for me. Which is... It's a little charming, but and you're like, okay, like I get this. I get Han, he's just out for himself. Cassian is doing it for this bigger, greater cause, which somehow makes it feel colder. He goes through an entire, like a huge range of emotions um, when he's deciding whether or not to shoot Tivik. He he gets the stormtroopers, he's you know gathering his stuff back together, and he's look around and he's got a very serious look on his face. He's like calculating the way out. He's like, well, the only way to get out is to climb. Tivik gives himself away. He says, I can't I'm not going to be able to climb arm. out of here with my arm. <laughs> I'll never climb out of here with my arm. Get out of the way. Oh, oh. And so he calculates it and then he smiles. It's that perfect moment where he goes up. And he's like, it's okay. Hey, buddy, buddy, everything's going to be okay. Calm down. Calm down. We'll be all right. 
bang. He smiles, but he grimaces the second that he pulls the trigger. You can tell I didn't I didn't want to do that. I had to do it. He takes a step back, like refocuses, nods, like I'm satisfied. I did a good job. Like he's dead. And then he looks really, really upset that the first thing he thought about after killing somebody is I did a good job. But that horror doesn't last very long. He accepts it and then is determined. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep going. And he climbs up in a way and he escapes. And yet yeah, he he hits every single one of those facial expressions. It takes like five seconds for him to cover all of that. And it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. That look of shock, especially. I think I think it's your second step after the I I did a good job. That look of shock of like I can't believe that's the first thing. I can't believe I just did this. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important all those emotions that he shows, especially when we get to when he is supposed to kill Galen, and yeah. all of those exact same emotions spread out. They they play all at the same time. And we're seeing that full arc starting here. Starting with that grimace when he pulls the trigger and that shock on his face after he realizes what, what he's done is is the turning point for Cassian. And and it continues because the next time the next time we see Cassian, he's in in, in the situation room, like I said, with Jin. Jin um holds holds his gaze just like a little long a little right after he says the pilot says you sent by your father and they look at each other for like a while mm-hmm. before she looks away and there's bail like like she the only thing to tear her eyes away from cassian is bail organa walking in they next time you see them together they're walking towards the ship they share another look when cassian gets called away to talk to draven mm-hmm. and like no words spoken they walk in silence to the ship and they share a look they, they they're both you know, quiet people, they don't talk a lot. Right. You know, for a spy who's supposed to be able to handle his his facial expressions, he doesn't do a very good job of it. Um, because he does not speak to Draven. Cassian never says a word to Draven. Draven does all the talking. He says, forget what you heard in there. Gaina Nurso is vital to the Empire's weapons program. Forget what you heard in there. There will be no extraction. You find him, you kill him. Then and there. This is not an extraction. When you when you find him, kill him. And he looks down and does that same grimace again. That same exact grimace that he made when he pulled the trigger in Tivik's back. Then he looks back up and he nods and he he doesn't say anything. He doesn't confirm. He doesn't deny. He doesn't say yes, sir, or anything. He just grimaces and then nods and then walks back to Jin. And then she drops that trust goes both ways line. Really close to right after. K2SO. K2SO. I'm Which, a reprogrammed Imperial droid. <laughs> <laughs> the Actually, the, the first moment when we see him, it's so well cut and well edited that Jin is running out of there. And it's cut so that you feel the hit on Jin's chest as she's lifted up and then slammed on the ground. And she, like, can't and, breathe. And she's like... And she like, she's like, yeah, you, like, feel her pain. You're like, she just got the wind knocked out of her. And then he says... Uh, congratulations. Congratulations. You are being rescued. You are being rescued. Please Try not do to not resist. resist. <laughs> Congratulations. You are being rescued. Please do not resist. Yeah. That, I will say, is maybe my favorite meme from the entirety of this film. There are so many good versions of that meme uh, that I will be, when this episode comes out, I will have a collection of these memes ready to go. Most of them are history related. I love the the historic versions of this. <laughs> Please do not uh, resist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, but he eventually we we get more details on him in this final scene. Um, yes, where yes. he introduces himself. He introduces himself. He doesn't need a, a human to tr- introduce him. Right. He's a 
uh, he is a, a strong, independent droid. Much, much like C-3PO. Um, C-3PO yes. has the same sort of motivation. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations. His first line is... He says, I see they're letting you go with us to Jedha. I, I think don't it's think a bad that's idea, a good idea, and so does Cassian. And so does Cassian. I'm K2SO. I'm a reprogrammed Imperial droid. I remember you. I see the Council is sending you with us to Jeddah. Apparently so. That is a bad idea. I think so, and so does Cassin. What do I know? My specialty is just strategic analysis. Yeah, which is such a bird. For such a good burn from a droid. <laughs> it's a sick burn. Um, yeah, and then she looks back at Cassian and she goes, and she's like, oh, does he think it's a bad idea? Like, right. Which, well, also, I don't care. That's that's Jen. Like, well, I don't care that he thinks it's a bad idea because I'm going to go. But also, like, we didn't see it, but I don't think K2SO and Cassian talk before that moment. No, like, it, it, he's either making it, it up or he knows Cassian like that well. <laughs> And and I think I think that's where it's coming from is like I know Cassian so well that Cassian thinks it's a bad idea. Cassian would think it's a bad idea to have you come along because Cassian is calculating in for the rebellion and this and that, and that's not what Jin is. Um and I I love this idea of a reprogrammed Imperial droid. Because it's it's one of these sort of like redemption elements but it's almost like a forced redemption like he you know he's a droid and we can talk about droids rights for maybe three hours we'll do that later (laughs) we'll have a droids rights podcast uh in which we bring in solo and the rest of the extended universe um but there's definitely this sense of thing that was bad transformed into thing that is good yeah he's the robotic Bodhi rook Robotic Bodhi Rook. It's also uh, Galen Erso. Mm-hmm. It's also criminal Jin turns into rebellion hero Jin. It's also calculating Cassian, who only does things for the rebellion, turns into hero Cassian, who does things heroically. Like, everyone undergoes this transformation, and importantly, this one character has already had that transformation occur beforehand, and then represents determinism throughout the film and a determinism that is constantly undercut by the heroes changing and and i think that is like such a incredible dynamic as a writer i think it's it's brilliant to have this character who was made as an imperial droid and then his nature is reprogrammed so that he then helps the rebellion but he he always expects characters to act the way that they were initially programmed and he doesn't allow for characters to be reprogrammed right right and so that's where we get to this like brilliant line it's it's so funny but so poignant of you're gonna let her have a gun why does she get a blaster and i don't and of course you know then there's this great interaction between cassian and Jin, where cassian's like where did you get that and she's like i picked it up so i just saw it and i picked it up found it (laughs) what i know how to use it that's what I'm afraid of. Give it to me. We're going to Jeddah. That's a war zone. That's not the point of... Where'd you get it? I found it. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. And then, and then, he, she's like, we're going into Jeddah. It's a war zone. Like, I'm not not taking the, <laughs> the blaster with me. That would be crazy. <laughs> And, and then you get this, this great line, trust goes both ways. Trust goes both ways. Um, where that, that moment is the initial changing of both of their characters. It's the beginning of their reprogramming. Where Jin is more trusting of Cassian, Cassian is more trusting of Jin, and they're both going to take moves that are personal, right? Yes. And that are involved with themselves, not with the rebellion, not with their heritage, not with their, you know, they are taking moves that are are for what they want. Jin wants to stay alive, and Cassian wants to accomplish the mission and knows he needs Jin's help. And so he's yes. going to make that choice. 
And that's the moment, the first moment, when he says, you know, do you want to know the probability that she uses that against you? You're letting her keep it. Would you like to know the probability of her using it against you? It's high. Let's get going. It's very high. It's high. Very high. It's very high. He has not... K2SO has not accounted for the fact that these two characters, who he acts like he already knows, have already begun their change. Yes. By being together, by now being a unit rather than being separate characters, they are changing by their proximity to each other. Right. I'd like to throw in one more dynamic into that. Yes, please. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. 100%. This is the point where they become a unit. Cassian has one more piece of information that Jin doesn't. And it's that he's supposed to kill Galen. True. He's holding on to this secret. He walks in and he's just learned this information. He's going to process it. He's like, okay, well, now this is not just a, an extraction. This is an assassination. Like, I'm like, oh, like I'm going to make it work. True. And then Jin looks with her big, beautiful eyes right up at him and says, trust goes both ways. And the look on his face, he doesn't say, you're right. He doesn't say, like, oh, good point. Like, yeah, I trust you. You trust me. Here we go. Oh, he... and, and by the way, trust goes both ways. So I better tell you the secret that I just learned. Nope. <laughs> he, he clams up yeah. and he does that grimace again. And he he knows that trust isn't going both ways, but right. he needs it to. Right. He's, he's suddenly in this moment, I think, realizing that if the trust is going to go both ways, he wants it to. He wants Jen to trust him right. as much as he wants to trust Jen. She's right. They're going into a war zone. Like right. she's going to need a blaster and he's going to let her have it. And he's going to turn his back on her, trusting that she's not about to shoot them both and steal the ship. And he knows that he's going to go ahead and establish this trust only to break it later. Right. And he doesn't like it. He and, doesn't. And, he does not like it. And I think he sits down and reprimands Kay for making a joke about her about her shooting him. Right. He's like, stop. Like, let's get going. Right. Like, he's not in the probably they joke together. You know, they're friends, K two and, and Cassian. He doesn't. He doesn't let K two make a joke right. about Jin shooting them. And and I think what's really important is, like you're saying, he wants the trust to go both ways. And through the next section where they're moving together on Jakku, he's trying to let that trust go. Excuse me. <sighs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, through the next section where they're trying to move through Jeddah, he's trying to let that trust go both ways. And you see him like trying to work with her as a team and the moment where he where he is impressed by her as she takes out all the the droids and stuff like or all the stormtroopers uh it's like a really good dynamic but then of course we're gonna have those like critical moments right at the end where everything gets undercut yeah because the trust at this at this moment the trust they do trust each other but he knows that she is trusting him without all of the information. And I right. think he, yeah, he feels really guilty yeah. and, and doesn't like it. And maybe and... that affects his decision to not kill Galen, but we'll see. We'll see. These we'll are all things see. that will happen later in the film that we have not watched yes. yet. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does have a, <laughs> have a direct impact on, on, um, on, on how he, how he acts in the future. That line, trust goes both ways is, is that, that bit with them in the shuttle is so important. Jin's uh, styling changes here just a little bit. She's not necessarily in a new outfit, but she's a little cleaned up and her hairstyle has changed just just a, a little bit like she's like she's done her hair she's like okay i'm gonna put it back and she's brushed it she's cleaned it she looks cleaner and and more put together than she's looked up to this point and i just want to point out her the choice of hairstyle that they gave felicity jones they gave her a really really severe middle part with long bangs that frame her face and it's very 70s it's extremely 70s, this this hairstyle that she's rocking. 
um, where the, there's even a little curl to the bang by her face that that kind of gives this hint of a like almost like a feathered hair look. It's very it's very 1970s, which I think is important to this movie is going to lead directly into A New Hope, which was a, a, a beautiful product of the 1970s. But also yeah. later in, in this film, because New Hope, uh, Star Wars focuses a lot on like World War II imagery, but Rogue One is very Vietnam. It's yeah. very, very Vietnam War. And Jin's 70s haircut and this, this homage back to this era, I think is significant. And, yeah. no, and that's, not that's to, a good point. Not I, had no, I had not noticed that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's this. Yeah, the dead middle part, like a brunette, Farrah Fawcett almost. She's got the, that that flip yeah. to the side of her hair, just a little bit, not like in a Rose Tico way, where, where her hair right. is literally flipped out on the sides. Right. But um, but it, it's a, um, yeah. There's just enough gestural. Like we're gonna keep it simple. Like she's a very you know she's <laughs> a very utilitarian kind of girl. She's not gonna do crazy things with her hair. Right. But, no, uh, Leia buns. But yeah, no, it is the no Leia, Leia part. Buns. Leia also yes, has that part down the center. middle of her hair. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. Um, which was, yeah, it's it's a it's not really in style right now. Oh, it's coming back a little bit. It's not in style right now. It certainly wasn't in style in 2016. No. Um, it's a direct yeah. reference to to this to the roots of this hmm. story. That's really cool. I had not noticed that at all. That's awesome. So Next time on Rogue Fun, <laughs> we will be talking about the scene just after this. So Saw Guerrera walking up towards Bodhi and he says, Lies! Deception! <laughs> and we are going to go all the way to the scene in Jetta, which ends with... Are you kidding me? I'm blind! <laughs> yeah. The moment where they all get the bags put over their head and they're being taken to Sagarera. So I'm the um, daughter of Galen Erso. Yeah, that yeah. that scene. That that whole scene. God, that's a um, lot. That's a big chunk. It's I'm, a huge chunk. We were talking we were talking about like do we do the enti- all the way to the destruction of Jeddah? And we we're like, that is so that's much movie much. to talk about. That's too much. So we're just gonna do this chunk. Uh and yeah. Uh join along with us. Um you can always Follow us on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod. Uh, we talk a lot on there. Uh, there's like lots of conversations going on, and we try to jump into Star Wars conversations. Well, I say we. Alice tries to <laughs> jump into Star Wars conversations and does a lot of talking with the fans. I jump in when I can. I, I, I try my best. But uh, yeah, Alice, do you want to tell them where else they can find you? Yeah. Um, other than being uh, super active on Rogue Fun Pod, uh, you can find my personal Twitter is at Alice White THP. THP stands for Those Happy Places, which is the uh, podcast I do with my best friend, Buddy Duquesne, where we talk about theme parks, rides and attractions and their place in literature. If that sounds interesting to you, you should come on over and check us out. And where can they find you? Uh, I am at TH Ponders. Uh, and I also make a show about art in art museums called Accession. And as far as you know, that is the only other podcast that I make besides this one. Ooh. Alice, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>